Well, because you've been running around Europe I really for two have. weeks, so we've been apart so long, and we're used to being together <laughs> multiple times a week. Wait, we're wearing the same <laughs> necklace. Oh my god, Sabrina! <laughs> this was from a Fat Fit Fun yeah, Box from like years ago. three years ago. That's so funny, and I haven't That's worn so it in so long, and then when I was going to Europe, I was like, oh, this is really cute, and I, I've been wearing it now ever since. That is hilarious. I must have just been channeling you, or maybe it was like I saw you wearing it in pictures in Europe, and I just or we just missed each other. Picked this one out, or we just let's just say we missed each other, and we're on the same wavelength, and we had to feel connected to each other. And we have fancy new headphones. These beauties. Hi, I got these for free, so we decided that uh, Sabrina should also get (laughs) matching ones so that we can we can match. Yeah, (laughs) as always. always. This is Two Girls, two One Ghost. Girls, One Ghost. And we are your ghostesses. That is Corinne. And I am Sabrina. And and happy <laughs> birthday to you. Happy birthday oh, to thank you. you. Happy birthday, dear Sabrina. Thank you. It's your birthday in six days from when this comes out, right? Yes. 26th. It's a Friday. Well, it's the 26th, so everyone has the opportunity to... Hello. to um, Con- congratulate you on being 29, 29 years old. Congratulate me. You made it. Congratulations. <laughs> Honestly, that's a big feat given that you've always thought you were just going to uh, die in a car Yeah, but I don't think it was young. Out. I never said young. I just know that I'm okay. going to Yeah, I just think I'm going to die in a car accident. Well, I, we should still celebrate every birthday. Yes, absolutely. I'm a big proponent of celebrating birthdays. I basically just got off of an airplane, so I want to give everyone mm-hmm. a heads up. I will be consuming quite a bit of coffee during this episode, so I will probably start here, and who knows where I'll end up, but we'll, we're going to go on this journey together. Yeah. This is our new ASMR podcast where we just hear Sabrina slurping bean I made water. that louder so everyone <laughs> could hear it, but I'm usually a quiet, quiet <laughs> sipper. I should have grabbed some too. A quiet sipper. The quiet sipper. quiet sipper. Oh my gosh. Sabrina, you should add that to like a book or a show or something. Like that's the name of the serial killer. Ooh. The quiet sipper. Ooh. In How do they kill? In a very Hallmark movie, they poison tea at mm. tea shops, local tea shops and coffee shops. Okay. You And so all the baristas are are under scrutiny mm. and all the police are looking at them, but it's it it's not one so, of them. So, so the, no one knows the serial how. killer is, sleep, is slipping. It's a quiet slipping sipper killer, serial killer. Yep. They're slipping mm-hmm. into coffee shops and tea houses late at night with their herbal remedies right. that are poisonous and toxic and slipping them into things that people will later sip. Right. Well, here's the kicker. Yes. It's that they actually are in charge of the packaging. Oh. That, and so certain packages of coffee and tea, they lace the packaging. And so no one knows how it's actually getting into the tea. And they're just slipping silently through the wow. night. We just gave yeah. a serial killer some ideas. <laughs> and we are sorry to the world. 
Leia, first get a job at a packaging manufacturer. <laughs> Leia also will be a chatty gal today because because she, she missed, missed you. us. Yeah. Oh, oh, it was so cute though last night. Like whenever we get home from a long trip, and we had a couple friends come by and stay with her while we were gone. But whenever mm-hmm. we get back from a trip, she purrs for twenty four hours. Like she doesn't stop purring, oh, so and it is cute. so cute. It makes me so happy. So last night snuggles were had. Let me tell you. Snuggles were had. Well, you've had her since college, right? You got her mm-hmm. in college. Junior so year, she's really yeah. – she's used to constantly being with you. That is true. That is true. Well, we mentioned this last week. Uh, this was a hard pivot. That was not a good transition because the coffee hasn't kicked in yet, but I do <laughs> – And Leia's screaming yeah, in the like, background. Chaos! What's <laughs> happening? Um, welcome back. Welcome back. Hello. We are really excited because last week we announced our new format of Two Girls, One Ghost, and we're so excited. We hope you're excited. It's going to start after the next encounters. So this episode is going to come out, and then I'm using my Italian ha- language, which is hands. Hand gestures. Yes. Jazz and then hands. encounters will come out next week, and after that, we're going to switch up the format so they're two – well, I guess three episodes a week, but we're going to have – a researched episode yeah. on Sundays, encounters on what do we say Thursdays? Well, no. So we yes, encounters on Thursdays, and then campfire stories, and then our campfire stories. We record them live on Tuesday, but they will be posted on Wednesday. So you will get in your feed a Sunday, Wednesday, and Thursday. We're going to be so three times annoying. Where it's like a new alert, new two girls and goes. Hello, hello, are you listening to us? No, it's going to be so fun. Um, also, we are very excited. Brain spasm. Corinne, I already told you this in the beginning of this before we started recording, but your freaking gallery uh-huh. wall is sick. Thank you. It's beautiful. I had a mental breakdown <laughs> the other day and decided I hated everything in my apartment and spammed Sabrina with a thousand photos and it. said, what do you think if I do this or that? And then I used Canva, our best Love friend it. for social media, mm-hmm. and I like literally mapped out like what everything would look like. So I'm waiting on a few more frames. It looks so and, good. Uh, I ordered a bunch of – people helped me. I put on Instagram like where should I find good prints and people recommended Society6 and Etsy and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So I actually shopped on Etsy and I got quite a few spooky prints Ugh. so that I can make this into more of like a Halloween-y type of – I need to do that. October. Wait, will you send me what you got and I'll try to match you? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. I have a ton that are saved. I wonder if you can make Etsy. Oh my gosh. What? Okay. Sorry. There's cannons blasting I was into the say, ocean in Boston. It did sound like there was someone bouncing a ball and I was like, that's kind of creepy because it's like a little kid bouncing a ball, but it's cannons. It's, no, it's the, it's cannons. Oh, I should take a picture. I will take a picture right now so that I can. Oh, no. I'm missing it. I'm missing it. It's going too fast. Okay, so the USS Constitution uh-huh. is parked in Charlestown in Boston. Okay. Um, very historic. And sometimes they take it out for like a little a little peruse. I really don't know why there are cannons blasting today. But every once in a while, since I've lived in this apartment, maybe like two or three times, I've been sitting here and it will go by and just shoot off cannons. I don't know if they're real cannons or if it's just like smoke and noise. But I mean, it it's sounds going really by. cool. Hello. And goodbye. Yeah. My favorite part of them doing that is the cute little – I love tugboats. <laughs> and there's always tugboats accompanying it. So that's really the best part of, I love of the cannon blasting. I love it. So um, fun. 
But yeah, anywho, I will I will send you all of those prints. Okay. Honestly, maybe I'll just post them all on social media, like in our stories or whatever. So people oh, that's can a really good idea. buy all the prints that I either bought or considered. We can all match. Etsy specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we can all be that's matching. It'll be great. It'll be grand. Um, oh, but going going back to our conversation about the new format, just to remind everyone, if you haven't listened to the Encounters episode uh, or if you did not see our uh, social media post on our fifth year anniversary that we created mm-hmm. um, announcing the changes. So in the new format, not only are you getting three episodes a week now, but we will also be doing – our researched episodes will have just me or just Sabrina doing the researched mm-hmm. part, and the other person will be doing an encounters. And the reason we're doing this is because there are so many stories. Honestly, the story that I picked out today, I was like, oh, I should have saved there's this. So but there's so many where we, where we want to add way yeah. more details, and we feel like we're cutting so much content out to give ourselves – like keep ourselves into the the time that we've – previously yeah. done for this podcast. Um, and now we'll be able to add more details in and we will also be able to more comfortably uh, do multiple parts Two-parters. for certain topics. Two parts. It's so fun. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's yeah. going to be great. So you'll hear the soothing sounds of Sabrina's story. Yeah. Uh, the first episode that we post after September 1st when we make mm-hmm. the changes. It's great. We're excited. Upgrade. Upgrade. But that's – coming soon. For now, mm-hmm. we have I'm really excited about this topic because so for I, I don't know if we explained this, but for our birthdays we both picked our own topics. So Corinne for her birthday picked cryptids. Yep. I picked Cryptid. old-timey ghost stories and yes. I'm so thrilled by it because I've always had this obsession with the romantic age and like romanticism and the 1900s or earlier of ghost stories. And it Mm -hmm. started with my fascination and love for Mary Shelley. And for those of you who don't know, where are you? And welcome to my brain. She wrote Frankenstein. Of course. Oh, yes. Of course. Of course. We've heard her name a million times. And so this era of ghost stories, like the Victorian era of ghost stories opened up so many doors for female authors in literature. And I just think that's so fascinating. But I wrote a little bit. I did some like, basically I've been obsessed with Mary Shelley because when I first read about her, I learned that she wrote Frankenstein on like a stormy weekend retreat away with friends. And they decided to have a competition who can write the best horror story. And she wrote really the concept for Frankenstein that weekend, which I think is so romantic. The idea of, being oh, wow. in a cabin with friends and it's storming and they create horror stories. Like, that is my dream come true. Right. Well, that's what you and I have talked about. We're like, let's just rent a little cabin yeah. or something in the woods and and just, like, hang out there for a week doing podcast Talking stuff ghost or stories. writing or whatever. Yes. Talking ghost stories. I love that. And I love that such a successful book came out of yes. it. Yes. <laughs> so – and, like, as a writer, it just gives me life. Uh, anyway, it's the most beautiful story I wish that I lived in the 1800s and like could spend weekends away creating horror stories and not looking at my phone. But, you know, it is what it is. But yeah, we live in the time that we I have so much information for us. about Mary Shelley that I've been holding in my brain that is so perfect for this podcast that I wanted to share. And I didn't know when. And this felt like the most appropriate time. So as a introduction into the 
old-timey ghost stories, I wanted to tell you some old-timey information about Mary Shelley that is spooky. Love it. Okay. Mary for sure would have been a phantom. She's like a sad girl with a predilection towards like the dark, disturbing, creepy of the world. Her favorite place to go was a cemetery, and I'm pretty sure she uh, lost her virginity in a cemetery. No way. Wait, how do you know this? It's it's written like in history. Either she wrote about it or someone wrote about it. Oh, gosh. We would have 1,000% been besties. She's like, Yeah. yeah. I lost my virginity in a cemetery. Like if I were in a down in down a dark hall, if I were one of the students, I would really hope Mary Shelley was channeling through me. Oh, yes, I totally mm-hmm. agree. I also, I mean, we've always talked about how cemeteries seem to be thought of as the spookiest places, but in reality, oftentimes have the least amount of paranormal yeah, activity going on. But I like to think that for the yes, totally that for the few spirits that do remain, and they're just like you know twiddling do, do, their do. thumbs looking around they're like yes when they see mary shelley having her her romantic first moment in a cemetery among the dead Mm -hmm. yeah they're like you go girl okay and the part that i'm so excited to tell you is that when her husband percy died she kept his heart inside a love poem in her desk (laughs) was that allowed that was legal? I don't think we can do that now. I, I don't think you can do that now, but let me tell you the story. So, okay. Percy Shelley died on July 9th of 1822, and it was because his boat was caught in a storm and he drowned, very sadly. His body was oh. recovered a week later and identified because he kept a certain book in one of his pockets. And according to legend, which is obviously now fact in my brain, that during the cremation process, Percy's heart refused to burn which is already spooky. So that's very spooky. A friend took his heart and then decided to give it to Mary. And rather than bury the heart with the rest of Percy's ashes and remains, Mary decided to keep it in her desk. And she wrapped it into in a love poem. And it wasn't until Mary died in 1851, 30 years after Percy died. So that means his heart was sitting in her desk for 30 years. It wasn't until then. Just a petrified heart yes. at that Which point. I, but Ugh. also so romantic. Imagine like Mary doing her writing and her lover's heart is just in her desk. I just think that's – it's disturbing, but it's also very beautiful. <laughs> Your face. <laughs> I mean, sure. Whatever. I think what – it's almost more disturbing to me that it was just – like thrown into the desk than being put in one of those liquidy jars where organs are preserved. It wasn't just, I like how you just flopped it. No, it was wrapped very, it's like, you know, when you go buy meat from the deli, but she wrapped it in. I was just thinking like the meat market. Yeah, that's weird. But in a love poem, that's beautiful. Okay, okay. Nick, give me your heart. (laughs) Wait, question. And I don't know if, if you'll know the answer to this, but did he die before or after she wrote Frankenstein? Um, after, because he was with her the weekend they did the competition. Oh, yeah. okay. Because I was thinking that was probably a good inspiration, mm-hmm. just keeping body parts no, apparently, for Frankenstein, but I guess so not. So apparently it was, I think it was four of them. It was Mary, Percy, and two other friends who were at this weekend, and they were talking about science and like the evolution of science and creation and 
Mary was inspired after a conversation. So they basically, they were like, okay, let's this weekend, let's all write a horror story. And she had writer's block. Mm -hmm. And one day they were just having, I just love this idea of, although she had writer's block, they were just having stimulating, very intellectual conversations about the world and uh, like how in science and art and history and all this stuff. Anyway, they were talking about how, what if a scientist creates something that ends up becoming really dangerous? And so that's where Frankenstein Mm-hmm. She was inspired by by that to write Frankenstein. Anyway, 30 years after Percy died and 30 years of having his heart in her drawer, Mary Shelley dies in mm-hmm. 1851. And it wasn't until then. So for 30 years, she has his heart in her desk. It wasn't until she died that people discovered the heart in Mary's drawer. It was then moved to the family vault in 1889, which 1889 is oh. 30 years be- after Mary died. So I don't know what happened to it for 30 years. Anyway. I don't know. But clearly she had some good people around her because they took it and moved yeah. it into the family vault. I feel like a lot of people would have happened upon that and been like, this is the most disturbing <laughs> and dark thing I've ever seen. I'm going to throw this out or hide this from everybody else like she hid from the yeah. world because I don't want people to think anything poorly about Mary. <laughs> I, I mean, I, not that we're thinking. Do you, you I'm like, this is fan. romantic as heck. Give it to me. Like someone yes. take my heart and put it I'm in not, a poem. I'm not against it. I just am. I am thinking of the smell. Yes. I guess that is what I'm I, my of. biggest curiosity is after 30 years, what does the decay of a heart look like? Like, does it even still look like a heart? It's probably just a little raisin, right? It's just shriveled Someone's up. like, Ooh, a snack. It's hard. A chestnut. Mm. That's what I think it Mary probably Mary was saving like. this for later, but she's dead now. Mm. <laughs> oh, it's just reminding me of all those videos of the poor people that bring their loved ones' ashes to the, a park Disney or a World. beach on yeah. a windy day and just gets inhaled right back yeah. at them. I mean, it goes back to our accidental cannibalism conversation, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. But anyway, so that was the Mary Shelley, Mary Wollenscraft Wollen, Shelley is one of my favorite authors. And I just think in terms of female writers, she's incredible and also spooky as heck. And I love her. So that was Mm -hmm. the inspiration or that's something that's always been in my heart. And I was so excited to then use that to talk about old timey ghost stories for this episode. The perfect topic. The perfect topic. I was a little nervous when you said that because I was like, oh gosh, what am I going to (laughs) find on the internet about this? But it actually was such a fun topic to research. And there's so much. Okay, you're first, which is great because I have time to get caffeinated. Yes. Okay. <laughs> this is a good one. <laughs> it's it's one of those stories where, I mean, I said it before, I was somewhat like, damn it, I wish I had saved this for a two-parter because it was one of those stories where when I initially started doing the research, I was like, this is really interesting. This is really fascinating. And more was uncovered as I did more research. And I was like, damn, this could be someone, some other podcast out there could could make this into Like what if we did, you know how like Reddit have like the, you know, you have a original post and then you have like answers below it. We could CC our old episodes and be like, hey, we're responding to you. Oh, I really like that idea. I Yeah, that's a great idea. And too, we can revisit some old episodes that we think yeah. really deserved more time yes. and attention. And, I think it's a good idea. You know, grab some some from our vault, yeah. from our bunker. 
you do. Underground bunker. <laughs> okay. Okay. This is the background to start behind the story, The Body Snatcher <gasps> by Robert Louis Stevenson. Fun. Do you know No, but I like the title. But it sounds yeah. great, right? He was a Scottish writer from the 1800s. And in 1881, Stevenson's family spent the summer living in a small Scottish village of Pitlochry. Oh. And I feel like people are going to tell me that I pronounced that incorrectly, but I watched <laughs> 1,000 YouTube videos and practice before this. So, so you can all back If off. I didn't get it right now, <laughs> I never will. Okay. So when his family was staying here in this little tiny Scottish village, his landlady just – she was probably like Mary Shelley. She just had this brain full of old ghost stories Ooh. and urban legends from the area. It's you and I. And Stevenson. <laughs> totally. Yeah. She's like, welcome to my Airbnb. Do you want to hear a ghost story? Yes, I do. <laughs> I think that's exactly who she was. <laughs> but Stevenson was like, yeah, I'm down. Yeah. This is super cool. And I'm a writer. Like, inspire me. And so she, he would sit around and she would just tell him stories all so the time. So cool. And it really set the mood for him to write. And boy, did he write because three of his best-known stories were written during his stay here. So he was very oh. inspired by his landlady's retelling of spooky stories. I love that she's getting the credit now because I feel like everyone is inspired by – especially writers. Like you're inspired by people around you and they deserve the credit. Right. You know? Yeah. Shout out, shout out to this lady. Yeah. I did not write her name down. But we know that she existed. Yes. And because of her, three amazing stories were birthed, birthed from Stevenson. And one of these stories was The Body Snatcher, <sighs> which was published in 1884 in a Christmas edition of the Paul Mall Gazette. Oh my gosh, mine Not, this is the best thing. Like I feel like mine is also published in was published in a Christmas edition. And that's the best, is that ghost stories, especially in is. this time, were told traditionally around the holidays. Bring it back. I know. Well, it, it is very funny because I was like, okay, this isn't like the normal place for ghost stories to be. But I kept thinking modern day. And you're right. Back in the day, like this is this is the point of ghost stories were for people around Christmas and holidays to gather around yeah. and tell spooky tales. Oh, my gosh. For my 30th birthday. Bring it back. I think for my 30th <laughs> birthday, I'm going to do that where everyone has to come prepared with their best ghost story. Oh, I love that. That's so great. You should. And you should – we should have – we should write them all down and publish an actual oh, Christmas edition. That's fun. Magazine from your third. Oh, that's a good idea. And by publish, I mean we'll print it just for us. And then email it to people <laughs> if they want it. <laughs> email it to yeah. people. Yeah. Great idea. Okay. So the body snatcher was written. And in this story, there is a group of people that are having a few drinks and the story is told by a narrator who's kind of witnessing this and giving background on the story. One of the main characters, Wolf McFarlane, walks in. And McFarlane is a doctor, a profession which is, you know, highly respected and regarded. And so it surprises the group when another friend at the social gathering, Fetz, suddenly recognizes McFarlane and has a really angry outburst oh. directed towards him. The two of them, turns out, had worked together in med school and their job was under the – management of anatomist Dr. K to receive bodies that would be used by the medical school. And those students would then practice dissection on the yeah. bodies. 
So they, these two guys, Fetz and McFarlane, together in med school, would pay these men to drop off the bodies and then would bring them into the, like, basically check them into the medical facility and give them to the proper students. It was a student, student job, yeah. you know? No big deal. Except. But the delivery men <laughs> for these bodies were quite off. And there was this suspicious air about them. But what are McFarlane and Fetz going to do about this, right? Like, it, they're just two med students doing this little odd job right. and receiving the deliveries. But then one day, a woman's body is delivered and Fetz recognizes her. He says, God almighty, that's Jane Galbraith. I know her. I tell you, she was alive and hearty yesterday. And then the delivery men I feel like I'm telling this like it actually happened, but it, it's just, I mean, the story is well written. Like it feels, it feels like, like it truly it does. happened. Wait, it reminds me so much of the, wasn't there a, like a pair of serial killers who did this in history? We'll get there on page Okay. Um, <laughs> I'll go back to drinking yep. my coffee okay. and listening. Yeah. Okay, so the delivery men, after Fetz is like, what the hell? I know this chick. She was totally alive yesterday. The delivery men <laughs> written verbatim demand like money. That. Yeah. <laughs> right. I just told you, right? I know like, this I just, chick. I said the same exact words I said before. I know this chick <laughs> from down the block. You know, so they give Fetz this really threatening and dark look and are like, give me your money. Like, you owe us for this delivery. And they insist that he's mistaken, that – this is not someone he knows, that this is not someone who was alive and walking around yesterday. And it's in this moment that Fetz realizes these bodies are being delivered to the medical school, probably not because they died organically, but rather because they're being murdered with the purpose of selling them to the yep. medical school. Yep. So Fetz is disturbed. As if there weren't enough dead bodies during that time. Tr- Okay, yeah. Well, I'll tell you why they were struggling to in in a little bit. Why they couldn't have just easily acquired all the dead bodies okay. that were all over the place at the time. But Fetz wanted to report this murder because he was very disturbed by it. Yeah. But McFarlane, the guy that Wolf were being told by the narrator, he got upset yeah. with at the bar. McFarlane, who was working with him, basically convinces Fetz not to. McFarlane is like, uh, yeah, man, like most of the bodies that come to us probably have been murdered, don't you think? Like, how else would we get so many? And he's saying, if you report this now, we probably will both be implicated in this crime because how would we not have raised any suspicion about all of this, right? So Classic they're better bad guy quiet. gaslighting. Right? Exactly. So it's easier for a McFarlane to deal with this because he very much views bodies as bodies, he, not really the remains of people who once walked the same streets as him. But Fetz, he really struggles with this and he shifts his mindset to try to deal with this. And instead of responding or or recalling this woman who just was delivered to them by the name Jane, who he knew her mm-hmm. by in real life, he starts to adjust and in the story starts to just call her the unfortunate girl. So he's trying to kind of remove himself and dissociate and and mm. essentially like dehumanize right. the people that are are coming in on the slabs oh, so for sad. them to then dissect. Truly. So after this incident, in the story, they go to the tavern to have some drinks. And this other guy, Gray, who knows McFarlane, comes up to them and starts this huge debate, really just roasting and bullying McFarlane. 
and it's really pissing McFarlane off. And he's ordering McFarlane around. He's saying things like, I'm a pretty bad fellow myself, but McFarlane? And he's just really poking at McFarlane, poking at McFarlane. And Fetz is seeing how upset McFarlane is with this random guy, Gray, coming up to him and just like being mean. Yeah. So Fetz tries to stick up for him, responding to Gray's comment about McFarlane hating Gray and wishing that because Gray was like, I bet McFarlane hates me and he just wants to stab me. Oh, and oh what's so gonna happen? Fetz is like, I think I know. <laughs> Fetz is like, we medicals have a better way than that. When we dislike a dead friend of ours, we dissect him. So kind of, you know, yeah. sending out threats, trying to defend McFarlane, but also not so subtle though. like somewhat implicating yeah. himself like yeah recalling wh- what they've been doing but in the end uh, when they leave the bar if it's like that's life you know sometimes you're going to run into people that are that mean don't to you, like that are rude you. To yeah. you and yeah there are good days there are bad days but you just keep chugging along so that's very much the perspective that fetz yeah. has so imagine fetz is the prize when the next day Aye. the man that was rude to mcfarlane gray is now on the table on the slab at the medical school Ready to be dissected. He is now a sample. Oh my gosh. Fetz realizes this and with almost complete certainty that McFarlane must have murdered this yeah, guy. For sure. Because he didn't like the rude comments and killed him. He basically is like, What the hell, McFarlane? And McFarlane tells Fetz not to say a word about this, to man up, to just do his job. And if he doesn't, there's a good chance that he may find himself on the same table as Gray. McFarlane. So, I know. Bad guy, bad guy. Together, they ensure Gray's body is quickly and completely dissected by giving him to another medical student who had been waiting patiently for the chance to dissect a head, leaving no evidence Mm. of his identity and screwing up any forensic evidence that could have linked McFarlane and implicated Fetz in this crime. Mm. So, now these two men. They're basically coming to terms with what's been happening, and they just continue their work. Fetz basically gives up, and he's like, I guess I'm just this bad guy now. Like, this is my job. This is my life. And then one day, Dr. K, who was the anonymous that they're working under, he is feeling a bit low on inventory. (laughs) So he asks Fetz and McFarlane to go to the graveyard and dig up the fresh body of a woman who recently died. So be a body snatcher. And they agree to do it. They drink a lot before doing it. They're like, if we're going to do this, not that McFarlane had any problem murdering Gray before, but it's a different thing. Maybe Fetz needed the liquid courage. I guess he, you know, murdering is different than digging up a body. It doesn't do the same thing for McFarlane. Right. And I guess the other thing is this woman is someone that wasn't known to them, whereas Gray was personally known yeah. to McFarland. So maybe he's like, you know, I had beef with this person and so I justified murdering them. But this <laughs> justified it. Little lady in the grave is, you know, yeah. She's a stranger. I feel bad, like desecrating her grave. That's where he draws uh, the line. So yep. <laughs> yeah. That's where it's, it's not okay too far. to do what we're doing. Too far. And so they drink a bit too far, get super drunk, head to the graveyard, dig up the casket, and remove the body that is now in a dripping sack because it was a dark and stormy night and it was pouring rain. Oh, the smell. So I know. I can smell it right now. Ugh. I just 
wish that it was 20 degrees out when they did this because that would help with the smell. But if it were 20 degrees, there is no way they would have been able to really the ground would have been frozen. The, the ground. It's frozen. Yeah. Totally. So they are removing the body that is now a dripping sack and they are carrying it to their carriage. The sack was described as soaking wet and hitting them in the face as they carried the woman's body. The For a second, I forgot them, that this was just a, a ghost story. I was like, oh, this is real. How right? horrible. <laughs> yeah, how horrible. But, well, everything's a little bit based yeah, in reality, true. right? I think, I don't think anything hasn't happened before with, with stories like this. Yeah. You know, there's got to be someone out there at some point who did body snatch in pouring rain and was slapped in the face by decaying wet sack bodies or lap stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you know. The usual. Okay, so they had brought dogs with them as somewhat protection, but also like to alert them Mm. if there were other people, you know, wandering around and they were potentially going to get caught. So the dogs that were with them began to howl. And so the men got really spooked. So they get out of the graveyard towards the light of the buildings, and they're able to see the body that they'd exhumed a little bit better. And now I'm going to read you the last two pages of the story. And this is public domain. (laughs) I can't. (laughs) The rain had molded the rough sacking to the outlines of the body underneath. The head was distinct from the trunk, the shoulders plainly mottled. Something at once spectral and human riveted their eyes upon the ghastly comrade of their drive. For some time, McFarland stood motionless, holding up the lamp. A nameless dream was swathed like a wet sheet about the body and tightened the white skin upon the face of Fetz. A fear that was meaningless, a horror of what could not be, kept mounting to his brain. Another beat of the watch... And he had spoken, but his comrade forestalled him. That is not a woman, said McFarlane in a hushed voice. It was a woman when we put her in there, whispered Fetz. Hold that lamp. I must see her face. Oh my gosh. And as Fetz took the lamp, his companion untied the fastenings of the sack and drew down the cover from the head. The light fell very clear upon the dark, well-molded features and smooth-shaven cheeks of a too familiar countenance, often beheld in dreams of both of these young men. A wild yell rang out into the night. Each leapt from his own side into the roadway. The lamp fell, broke, and was extinguished, and the horse, terrified by the unusual commotion, bounded and went towards Edinburgh at a gallop, bearing along with it the sole occupant of the gig, the body of the dead, in the long dissected gray. So the body that McFarlane had murdered and that they together as a team made sure there was no evidence of and had given to students to dissect and basically make into nothing was now haunting them. Had haunting them, had been carried out in the oh my gosh. sash and was there. And all the evidence went away as the horse drawn carriage left them in the pouring rain, just shocked together. Wow. So here's what is even more wild, which you alluded to earlier. This author, Stevenson, while he was very inspired by the the ghost stories and tales the that neighbor. this woman in the yeah. small Scottish village had told him, he was also inspired to write the story because this is based on a real-life case of body snatching. 
Dr. K, the anatomist that these two guys worked for in the story, was inspired by Robert Knox, Robert K, who employed two men in real life, William Burke and William Hare, to bring him bodies for dissection and anatomy lectures. The problem was there was a short supply of bodies because at the time, and this is one of the things you brought up, like why yeah. why would you have to snatch bodies? There's so many dead people. Well, at the time, Scottish law only allowed bodies used for medical research to belong to people who had died in prison, uh. who had died by suicide, or who were orphans. So, so people began body snatching, and these body snatchers were referred to as resurrection men. Mm. And so Burke and Hare, they started out as resurrection men. That's such a their nice gig. name were, compared to body snatchers, resurrection men. Like it gives yeah. us idea resurrection of, men. idea of yeah. rebirth. Suddenly you're Jesus yeah. and you're bringing people back but to life. But you're actually just yeah. like taking their bodies from the grave and disturbing their peace to dissect them. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Not great. No. They move from being resurrection men and body snatchers to murderers yes, of course. after a man who was lodging at Hare's house. So Hare was like basically the OG Airbnb. <laughs> like he he had a few properties and he had people like short-term, yeah. long-term rentals basically. Of course. And there was a guy who died of dropsy, which I had to look yeah, up what, what dropsy it? was. And it's basically now it's a symptom. Now it's known to be a symptom of like kidney or liver disease mm. or congenital heart uh, disease. But basically, it's it's swelling. Like you, your whole body retains water and liquid, oh and you just get so incredibly swollen. Dropsy. Um, so yeah. So this guy died while staying at Harris' property, and Harris like, mm, what do I do? Here's the body. It just kind of happened to be yeah. here. Free, free game. Free I body. Guess. So he together, it, totally. He grabs Burke. And together they decide to sell the body. So they made a deal with a local anatomist and essentially snatched the body once it was ready in the coffin ready. for burial. So they still had to go through t- so that they wouldn't get yeah. caught. They still had to like snatch it. Say he was dead. And yeah, they still had to s- snatch it. They get paid a great price for it, which helped them justify what they would do next. Two months later, a woman who was lodging at Hare's house had a fever. And Hare was concerned that her illness would result in others not wanting to stay there and interrupt his cash flow. So he grabbed his buddy Burke, and together they killed her. Oh my gosh. And then they sold her body to the anatomist Robert Knox. They continued to murder people, smothering and choking them for the next 10 months. Mm. And this was in 1820. Yeah, no, by but the people way. don't want to stay and at this Airbnb because someone had a fever. But now, now that people are dying and disappearing, totally fine. Right? Great for it business. Re- it very much reminded me of the the story that was often told behind Lavinia Fisher yeah. and the reason why she was put in jail. Yeah. The, you know, very murdering Sweeney the bodies Todd. in their hotel. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. In one case, there was a woman named Mary Patterson, and she was with her friend, and they were hanging out with Burke and Hare, drinking until they realized that these men were married. And Mary's friend left, but Mary kind of, like, stuck around. You know, she was just seeing what was up, drinking, having a good time. And later, Burke and Hare, they lock their own wives out of the room. Okay. And they murder Mary. Hmm. 
So Burke's wife kept all of Mary's clothes and skirts and petticoats, and Burke and Hare quickly brought Mary's body to Knox. So basically, the wives were fully aware of what their husbands and then were doing. Stealing. And they're like, oh, free jewelry yeah. and clothes. And yeah. Yes. Knox's assistant asked where the body came from, as it was still warm, and he recognized the woman Mary. And so Burke said the girl drank herself to death, and her body was then stored in whiskey for three months before it was dissected. Which also, I'm like, okay, I understand why they were putting it in whiskey, because alcohol, yeah, it's you know, like I guess, yeah, a form of preservation. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I was thinking, when I first read that, I was like, and then what were they going to do with it? They that? drank totally the whiskey. Cannibalism route. Yeah, like where, you know, maybe you have the body seep into whiskey and then you sell it to people who want to have body infused whiskey. Flesh infused whiskey. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I'm not a cannibal, but I feel like that would be a market that would do well. Yeah. <laughs> Curtin's new side hustle. I'm like, passive income, <laughs> just dunk bodies in whiskey. No. Okay. That was gross. Anyway, so I'm sure they were shitting themselves while the body just sat there for three months before the yeah. evidence was essentially like taken yeah. away. But then her friend comes and looks for mm -hmm. her. And Burke and Hare say the woman left. Mary left with a traveling salesman from Glasgow. So then they just, they're like, oh, no one's yeah, catching we're fine. us. Everyone's that was a great story. Lies. Totally. But our lives have so our they clothes continue. and it's totally fine. Oh my gosh. Yeah, talk about a trophy. Yeah. It's like the whole outfit the whole house is littered yeah. with the dead people's the murdered people's belongings items yeah. and belongings totally so they don't really care they continue murdering people at Hare's lodge they murder a man who fell ill drunk lodgers disabled lodgers so. couples women men a grandmother and her grandson <gasps> and the grandson expression and fear on his face before being murdered burke said haunted him until he died but did that make him stop? Probably not. And no. So the final victim was murdered on Halloween of course. night of 1828. Margaret Daugherty, Daugherty, however you say it with an Irish accent. She was a middle-aged Irish woman, and she was lured back to the lodge by Burke after a night of drinking. But the only problem with his plan was that there were other lodgers mm. staying there as well, Anne and James Gray and their family. So Burke and Hare were like, oh, oh my gosh, we totally weren't expecting our family member, Margaret, to pass through. So we actually really need you to take this money and go find other lodging for tonight because Margaret's going to stay here instead. She's our family. We can't say no. So they try to kick these people yeah. out who – we're staying in their in their place. So this this family, Anne and James Gray's family, they leave, but they return at 9 p.m. to grab some of the clothing that they needed that night for their kids. And when they get inside, Burke, Hare, their wives, and Margaret are all there drunk, singing, dancing, having a whole party. And then they leave. And back at the house, now with no other witnesses and just the murderers, Margaret is murdered. Oh my God. She's placed on a pile of straw at the end of the bed. And when the Greys, the Gray family who had left, they return the next day, Burke is 
floating around them. He's being really suspicious, really weird. And he's telling them not to go into certain areas. He's heading towards the bed where Anne Gray had hung her stockings the night before and like trying to skirt around her and make sure she didn't go to certain areas of her, the room she's renting. And so they were like, uh, okay. And yeah. uh, the Grays were just trying to like- I like how the author but, used the Grays name in his story. Yeah. Yes. Right? A callback to the actual, and even Dr. K. Yeah. Like, Dr. Knox, Dr. Right. K. It's a lot of, I mean, there was no sugarcoating yes. what happened. He was like, this is- Ripped from the news. Because of these murderers. Yeah. <laughs> but the Grays, uh, once Burke had left, they then searched that section of the house that they were, Bur- Burke was being really weird about, and they find Margaret's body. And so they go to the police, and Burke's wife tried to bribe them before they could get there into not telling and offered a substantial weekly allowance oh to gosh. keep their mouths shut. So the the wives are fully, fully on board in, in accepting this business. Yeah. They want this to happen because they're reaping the benefits. Reaping the benefits. Yeah. Totally. They're getting all of this money, new clothes, they're you know, having great parties with the people before their husbands it's never murder worth it. them. No, no. Uh, the Greys, good people. They're like, fuck that. We're not taking your money. We're going to yeah. tell. And so they they do. They tell the police. Uh, but again, it's not like you can just ring, 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 911. They have to go In, venture find, out to the yeah. police, find them, bring them back. So it gives Burke and Hare some time. So Burke and Hare, they rushed to remove the body before police could get there. But they didn't have enough time to dispose of the blood-soaked clothing and other evidence. But the body's not there, which was the most important right. part. So the police then, instead of just being like, where's the body? They look for it. Guess where they go? Cemetery? Dr. Oh. Knox's <laughs> office. <laughs> they go in and guess who is on the dissecting room table? They're Margaret. so dumb. <laughs> so dumb. Maybe they were hoping Dr. Knox would dissect it too quick right. for it to be recognized oh or that the police would take too long to know where to go look. Right. Uh, but I can imagine that in that town there are only so many people doing dissections. And with body snatchers, you'd assume they would float in and out frequently. Yeah. The police would. I don't know. So Burke and Hare and their two wives are arrested. Hare was granted immunity for giving up Burke, which he did. And Burke and his wife were tried. His wife was found not guilty, but Burke was guilty and sentenced to death by hanging. Public outcry from this case brought attention to the need for bodies for the use of medical research and directly contributed to the passing of the Anatomy Act of 1832. And this basically allowed legal access for physicians, surgeons, and students to obtain unclaimed bodies that didn't necessarily meet those three criteria that were previously law and allowed people to also donate their bodies uh, or donate their next of kin in exchange for the anatomy school to pay for the burial. So still going through like the religious or whatever certain – burials people wanted for um just like the sake of of having an exchange for their loved ones yes uh but their actual physical body wasn't buried it was donated to the school wow so as for burke he was executed and his body was dissected after his skeleton 
was put on display at the Anatomical Museum of Inberg Medical Why School. Why do they always do this? Which, oh, it is still on of course. display. You can go look oh at gosh. it. Oh, my gosh. It is in a case, a glass case. It's standing upright, so you can see every angle of his skeleton. And the museum is open on the last Saturday of every month, if anyone is curious and wants to That's go. it? That's the only time it's open? Once a month? Uh, well, it's a medical school. Oh, 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 oh. gotcha. So it's not like a, a normal yeah, yeah, operating yeah. museum. Public, so I yeah. think they just open like certain parts of that's the really museum cool. to the public. Yeah, that's the real life story of the wow. body snatchers. I love that story. I mean, it's so disturbing, but I think it is mm-hmm. so fascinating. And also right. I have so many notes yeah. on like how – like they – anyway, to, to, to give the body that they're trying to hide – to the person who they've been giving all of the people they've been murdering to is so, sorry, frankly, dumb. The dumb, dumb plan. Yeah. I think they just gotten away so many yeah. times with doing the bare minimum of lying that they just They're thought like, that they were invincible. But they yeah, ate. I mean, wouldn't you think you'd just go hide the body somewhere else for a little while? Yeah. It seems or pretty wild. If it were me – your body snatchers do the opposite. You already know how to like dig up bodies. Go put it into a grave that you recently dug up. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, that's a great idea. Sabrina. Thank you. <laughs> if you and I were in this situation together, I don't think we would have been caught. No, we wouldn't. We wouldn't have kept all the clothes. No. no. Bury that in the grave exactly. too. Burn it. Get rid of the evidence, mm-hmm. of course. Put it all in whiskey. Yeah. Isn't that half the evidence right there? Alcohol burns everything off. Well, no, apparently it preserves it if the body was kept in there for three months i'm just thinking about like well and also let's be real back in the day there they weren't fingerprinting no that's the other thing is like they weren't doing dna evidence that's what i was thinking like get rid of the dna (laughs) you don't need to you don't need to no Mm -mm. i heard a fact the other day that was said something like you have like a one in four chance or one in three chance of getting away with murder still today well i guess that makes sense there's so many cold cases yeah i think i'd be curious to know what type of murder? Yeah, I feel like the ones that are always done by, like, the partners, it's usually you get caught. Right. Someone turns on someone yeah. else. <sighs> well, <laughs> well, that's body snatching. Uh, that's body and that snatching. that is not a romantic really... Victorian ghost story. That is a no. disturbing ghost story. I can't believe – I mean, I can believe just because of history, but the fact that that was a Christmas edition ghost story. Right? Yeah, being haunted by the – ghost of the man who you killed yeah. and dissected but also that makes Pretty sense disturbing. if you murder someone i'd imagine that their spirit would haunt you yeah yeah i am fairly certain and i'm going to talk about my butt right now <laughs> without any evidence but i feel like harvard and other really big schools like that were more recently in trouble for murders n- no illegally obtaining oh. bodies for their medical school recently i swear that was a thing recently i feel like i read that in the news a few years ago interesting boston local oh okay, yeah up. let me know because that sounds fascinating we'd love to yep. know more all right birthday okay. girl let's see what you picked okay My ghost story is called The Old Nurse's Story by Elizabeth Gaskell, and it was originally published in December of 1852, also in a Christmas edition. But before I go into the story- This feels very angel of death already. That's the vibes I'm getting just by saying nurse. It's not. Oh, well, your reaction? Okay. It's not. 
So we'll just be surprised. Yeah, we'll be surprised. Here. I actually had never heard of this story and it made me, because these stories are technically short stories, right? But they are, they're kind of lengthy when you read them. And it made me want to read just all of the old ghost stories that were published for oh, Christmas time. I wonder, yeah, I wonder if there's a book. There should be a book that's <gasps> collection like, of them? here are, yes, a like a coffee table book where it's just <sighs> like, here's a collection of from this decade of the Christmas edition ghost stories that were published. I want the original newsletters though. Like I want the original ones. I'm sure my collection they exist somewhere, but that's probably expensive a, collection. A pretty penny. Yeah. That seems like a great collector's item, doesn't it? I need to murder and sell bodies in order to afford this this hobby collection of mine. Yeah. Also, I looked it up very briefly, yeah. and yes, uh, Harvard Medical School was totally in hot water for they, grave robbing. They were grave robbing. Who were they Someone having? Someone was. My question is, who was doing the grave robbing, and how was everyone on board with it? Or perhaps they weren't, because it clearly came out. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I I'll have to do okay. more. We'll post something. For all I know, this is like a recent article that was actually about like 200 years uh, ago, but we'll, we'll okay. see. Okay. Yeah. So before I go into my ghost story and tell you the story, I wanted to give Elizabeth a, a moment of recognition because she is so incredible. And I'm just, I, like I said with Mary Shelley, I'm so fascinated by the women from the Victorian era, especially those who published mm -hmm. their work and dip their toes into the creepier side of storytelling because I feel like it was very difficult for them, you know? And mm -hmm. and even, like, when I was looking into Elizabeth, I saw that a lot of people criticized her, especially men. So when she had died, someone had actually written that Gaskell was all woman and makes a credible effort to overcome her natural deficiencies, but all in vain. That her natural deficiencies... What natural deficiencies? Was that she was Just a woman. being a woman? Yes. That she tried to overcome being a woman in her writing, but she didn't succeed. And I was like, okay. Okay. All right. Anyway. because This is why so many people have made pen names where they never I know. say. Like where they call themselves like Alex or Charlie or something right. that can be They wrote as men. Unisex. Yeah. Right. And it's sad. It makes me sad. Anyway, it made me very mad. And that, that people were undermining her and saying because she was a woman, she couldn't do much of anything. But she actually paved the way for vocal feminism in the future, which I think is so cool. Elizabeth was born on September 29th of 1810 in Chelsea, London, England, and was a novelist, biographer, and short story writer. She was one of two out of eight children. So there were eight children and only two of them survived infancy. And then her mother died when she was very young her father felt ill-equipped to take care of her and so sent her to live with relatives, which naturally would fill her childhood with confusion and distance between her right. and her direct family. Elizabeth then went on to marry a minister who together they wrote poems, which I think is really beautiful. And that's very sweet. then she wrote based on life experiences. So she had a son who had died in infancy and she wrote this book called Mary Barton, which was said to have obvious depth and feeling with greatest descriptions since Jane Austen, which is high praise. Wow. High regards, yeah. yes. And she communicated often with Charles Dickens, who championed her success and encouraged her to write short stories and gothic ghost stories. And so 
Charles Dickens is actually the one who published the old nurse's story, which I am about to share with you. This is amazing. I feel like she was clearly extremely talented, yeah. especially given how many people were around her who were, you know, big, big names for their time as well. Mm-hmm. She was – she got connected because she, she sure was all, also just as talented. Yes. She emphasized the role of women with complex narratives of women, which was a, kind of a first. Like she wrote stories of women in the way that men were writing stories about men. Like they had complexities and were be- more than just, you know, the housewife or whatever it was. They had depth and mm-hmm. emotion and needs and wants. Love her. I wrote this, but it has to be wrong. I <laughs> I think I was thinking about my mom's birthday. She just – so I wrote that she died on November 12th, 1965, which is my mom's birthday. But that is not possible because she was born in 1810. So <laughs> – Vampire. She's a vampire. But I, I believe the first part of that is right. I just don't know the year. Her collection lives on, as does her legacy. So if anyone's interested, there are tons of books that she wrote and – I just think we should support her. Love her. Love her. Love, Love her. her. Love, you, Love her. Okay. So today I'm going to share a story with you that is called The Old Nurse's Story. And it was part of the Christmas edition of Charles Dickens' Household Words in 1852. And I want the original copy of that. Or an original. I imagine right. there are multiple. We should look on eBay after this oh, and see if there's gosh. anything. wonder how much it is. It is the perfect story to tell around Christmas because it is set on the snowy desert of Northumberland Fells in an isolated haunted house. And Leia is very excited about it, of course. Hi, Leia. Yeah, or scared. Come She's here? like, Mom, stop. You were gone for so long and now you're scaring oh. me. <laughs> I think she uh, lost some weight. While I was gone. <laughs> Did she? She wasn't feeding herself Look as much as she cute. needed. Oh, my God. Yeah. Precious. She's still just so loafy. She is a little loaf. I love her. Okay. This is the old nurse's story. It begins, and I'll do similar to what you did where I'm going to read some direct quotations and then I'll summarize the story. But it begins. You know, my dears, that your mother was an orphan and an only child. And I dare say you have heard that your grandfather was a clergyman up in Westmoreland, where I come from. I was just a girl in the village school. When one day, your grandmother came in to ask the mistress if there was any scholar there who would do for a nursemaid. Mighty proud I was. I can tell ye when the mistress came and called me up and spoke to my being a good girl at my needle and a steady, honest girl, and one whose parents were very respectable, though they might be poor, I thought I should like nothing better than to serve the pretty young lady who was blushing as deep as I was, as she spoke of the coming baby and what I should have to do with it. However, I see you don't care so much for this part of my story, as for what you think is to come, so I'll tell you at once. I was engaged and settled at the parsonage before Miss Rosamond, that was the baby who is now your mother, was born. And just as some context, so this is told from the perspective of the old nurse, and she's telling the grandchildren of rate of how she was the nurse to their mother. Okay. Okay. So it's like a bedtime story. So say like, I'm the nurse who raised your mother, Corinne. And now I'm telling you about Mm -hmm. the time I was brought into your mother's life. Yeah. Which seems so sweet and gentle. But knowing that this is a ghost story, I know it's (laughs) not going to be 
I'm not going to end that it way. It is sweet, but it is an interesting story. Like I imagine it a bedtime story. And then it, as you will learn, it feels like it will uh, instill nightmares into children. Mm. To be sure, I had little enough to do with her when she came, for she was never out of her mother's arms and slept by her all night long and was proud enough was I sometimes when the mistress trusted her to me. There never was such a baby before or since, though you've all been fine enough in your turns, but for sweet winning ways, you've none of you come up to your mother, which is such a slap in the face. (laughs) (laughs) Your mother, your mother took... I would cry (laughs) if I heard that. (laughs) Well, I guess it's like, oh, wow, my mom's so special. I don't know. Your mother took after her mother, who was a real lady born, a Miss Furnival, a granddaughter of Lord Furnival's in Northumberland. I believe she had neither brother nor sister and had been brought up in my lord's family till she had married your grandfather, who was just a curate, son to a shopkeeper in Carlisle, but a clever, fine gentleman as ever was one, and who was a right-down hard worker in his parish, which was very wide and scattered all abroad over the Westmoreland fells. When your mother, little Miss Rosamond, was about four or five years old, both her parents died in a fortnight after the other. Ah, that was a sad time. My pretty young mistress and me was looking for another baby when my master came home from one of his long rides, wet and tired, and took the fever he died of. And then she never held up her head again, but just lived to see her dead baby and have it laid on her breast before she sighed away her own life. My mistress had asked me on her deathbed never to leave Miss Rosamond, but if she had never spoken a word, I would have gone with the little child to the end of the world. So basically, Miss Rosamond is the children's mother. And when Miss Rosamond was four or five, her parents had both died one night after each other. The father died from a fever after like a night out on a on a cold, stormy night on, you know, mm-hmm. you know, an unprotected carriage. And then the next night, her mother died giving birth to a baby who did not survive. Oh, it's tragic. So now Miss Rosamond's an orphan alone in the world left to be cared for by her nurse. And Miss Rosamond's mother had declared in her will that together Miss Rosamond and the nurse Hester, which is the narrator of the story, would live with a maternal relative. It was the great aunt of the current Lord Furnival. And they would go live in the Furnival Manor House at the foot of Cumberland Fells. But this manor had pretty much been isolated for 50 years or so. There were two residents who were very old and melancholy women, Miss Furnival, whose name is Grace, and Mrs. Stark. So these two women live there, but this manor, which is out in the middle of the woods, has not really been taken care of very much. Mm -hmm. Oh, hello. Okay, so together... Hester, the nurse, who's not even 18 years old, is has to move with a four-year-old, Miss Rosamond, pack their things, and leave for this manor in the middle of nowhere, basically. They left all signs of a town or even a village, and then inside the gates, they saw a large wild park with rocks, the noise of running water, and gnarled thorn trees and old oaks, all white and peeled with age. Like, it sounds really mystical and beautiful. And they're, they're kind of stunned by it. The road yeah. went up. So the road into the 
Manor is two miles long. And then they see a great stately wow. house with many trees close around it. So cl- This is such a dream, but also the beginning of every yeah. horror movie yes. and ghost story. Yes. It's like the beautiful castle that you have to live in on the edge of town where no one else is there and you just get to live your your best life and your child is going to run through the meadows yeah. just so carefree and it's well, like then keep what? that in mind Corinne. so they they describe so this beautiful manor it has a kind of like a main area that's very windowed and beautiful and then there are wings projected on either side to the front of the house so there's like a main house and then the east and west wing And they say it's beautiful, but there are all these old trees kind of not really well taken care of around the house. And they have broken Mm -hmm. branches that kind of like scratch against the windows. And while it looks kind of fairy tale-esque, it is a little bit creepy. Then the inside of the manor is even more stunning. It's There's a great fireplace, a chandelier of all bronze like they had never seen before, and an organ built into the wall. So large, it filled up the best part of that end of the manor. Hester and Miss Rosamond are led through the halls and passages to meet Miss Furnival. And the little girl is very scared holding on to her nurse because she's just like, you know, she's four or five, just lost her parents, doesn't know where she's going, doesn't recognize this place or these people, and it's Mm -hmm. a little unsettling. But Miss Stark and Miss Furnival, who are the old ladies who live in this manor, love Little Miss Rosamond, they are just thrilled to have the life of a child in their home and, you know. But as they're introduced, they warn Hester and Little Miss Rosamond to never enter the east wing of the house. It is shut up. Well, now it's tempting. It's like, now I need to see what's in the west, east wing. It's very like Beauty and the Beast. Never go up to the tower, you know? Right? Totally. They're told they can explore the rest of the house just fine, but never to go into the east wing. So they go and explore the rest of the house, enraptured by the trees beyond the windows, the books, and all of these portraits. And I guess there's this room full of portraits. And one day they're going through the room, and the woman, Mrs. Stark, who's kind of the caretaker and housekeeper of Miss Furnival, is showing the portraits to Hester and Miss Rosamond. And there's one portrait that Mrs. Stark says, I will show you, but you must promise to never tell. It is the portrait of Miss Furnival's elder sister, Maud. She turns a picture. So basically there's this like portrait that's leaned up against the wall with the portrait side facing the wall. And she turns it towards them. And they're kind of both mesmerized by it because it looks very similar to Grace, Miss Furnival. But... Ooh, that's kind of creepy. Yes. But the question is, what happened to Maud? Where is Maud? And then Mrs. Stark, who's showing the picture, gets all panicky and strange and is like, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have showed you this. Please, please don't don't look at it. And she turns the photo back again and just never wants to talk about it again. So that's already a little weird. And this is feeling very haunted mansion to me. It is. But it, there's no Eddie Murphy for comedic <laughs> relief. It's just there's no all comedic spooks. relief, no. And winter is starting to come. It's drawing on. The days were growing shorter. And Hester sometimes was always certain that she heard a noise as if someone was playing the great organ in the hall. She kept asking if someone was playing the organ, and everyone told her it was just the wind. 
Did you just hear an organ? <laughs> no, I heard Brian's footsteps. <laughs> <laughs> but then I turned and he wasn't oh. there. He was just creeping back to the office. To his lair. <laughs> to the to lair. lair. So Hester is hearing these noises, but everyone is telling her it's just the wind. But she had picked up that they were uncomfortable with her question. That They were dodging the answer. Like they didn't want to tell her something. But then the kitchen maid tells Hester, folks do say that it was the old Lord playing on the organ in the hall, just as he used to do when he was alive. So then Hester goes and looks into the room with the organ and sees that it has fallen into ruin like no one has taken care of it, although it looked impressive from the outside. But it looks Mm -hmm. like it wouldn't play properly is what she is establishing. Organs are massive, massive too. Yeah, and this one, it sounds like it was, you know, took up the whole room. The winter grew colder and darker, and one dinner, as they all ate in silence, Miss Furnival lifted her sad and heavy eyes and said, I am afraid we shall have a terrible winter, in a kind of ominous and strained way. I'm getting the chills right now. I have to keep reminding myself that this is a written story, that it's not real. It's not real. So, you know, Mrs. Stark and all of the other people kind of pretend not to hear her. And Hester's like, that was weird. And sure enough, the days grew shorter and shorter, and it grew colder and colder. And the old Lord, if it was him, continued to play more and more stormily and sadly on the great organ. One day, Hester goes to church, leaving Miss Rosamond with Miss Furnival and Mrs. Stark. But when she returns, little Miss Rosamond is missing. So the nurse panics and starts looking for her, trying to find her. And Miss Furnival and Mrs. Stark basically like look at Hester with a cold look and are like, we don't know anything. It's like, what? I left her with you and to go to church. Where is she? So then, and I'll read my heart is in my stomach right now. I'm like, where, where is, is she? she? You lost where her? Is she? I'm feeling the panic. Okay, I'm going to read directly from the story. What's the matter, Hester? Said Mrs. Stark sharply. I don't know if Miss Furnival had seen me, for as I told you, she was very deaf, and she sat quite still, idly staring into the fire with her hopeless face. I said, I'm only looking for my little rosy posy, still thinking that the child was there and near me, though I could not see her. "'Miss Rosamond is not here,' said Mrs. Stark. "'She went away more than an hour ago to find Dorothy. "'And she, too, turned and went looking into the fire.'" So, like, these two women who have grown fond of little Miss Rosamond are just coldly acting, like... Right. They could care less. less. Like, I don't know. Are you not concerned with the the fact that the child that you were looking after has now disappeared? Right. So Hester goes looking for Miss Rosamond. But at first, she's not terribly frightened because the two love to play hide and seek. So she's maybe like, oh, maybe she's playing a game with me. Mm-hmm. And then after searching all over the house, Hester thinks to look outside and sees footprints in the snow going across the court and out onto the fells. And remember, this is a very cold, cold winter. Ooh. Oh, no. Hester tries to follow the footprints and thinks that maybe... Little Miss Rosamond went into the East Wing, but all of the doors are locked to the East Wing, so there's no way. Just then, an old shepherd comes carrying Little Miss Rosamond, who is in his arms without a jacket, like cold and asleep in his arms. And the shepherd says that he had found her under a holly tree in, and this is in quotes, 
in the terrible sleep which is frost begotten. Basically, she was succumbing to hypothermia. So they put little Miss Rosamond to bed, and the next morning, Miss Rosamond tells them that she was looking at the snow through a window when she saw a little girl out in the snow, beckoning her Uh to come out. But Hester said she only saw one set of footprints. And so she was like, there's no way that there was another little girl outside. But little Miss Rosamond is weeping and is like, I promise I'm telling you the truth. There was another little girl who told me to come out there and that the little girl took her by the hand and her hand was very, very cold. And this little girl led her up to the holly trees on the fell. There was a lady weeping and crying. But when she saw little Miss Rosamond, she hushed her weeping. So basically the appearance of Rosamond made the woman stop crying And the woman started smiling very proud and grand and took her on to her knee and began to lull her to sleep. Okay. Is this the lady that looks like her from the portrait? We will find out. You're very, uh, very smart, Corinne. So (laughs) time passes. And now one day, not long before Christmas, Rosamond and the nurse, Hester, are playing in the Great Hall as it's growing dark. Sun is setting outside. And all of a sudden, little Rosamond cries out, look, Hester, look. There is my poor little girl out in the snow. Hester turns to look, and sure enough, there is a little girl dressed all unfit to be out of doors, such a bitter night crying, and the little girl's beating against the window panes as if she wanted to be let in. Ooh, ooh, she was literally right there. I was picturing her on the edge of the yard, like by the tree line or something, but she is right there. That is very spooky. Okay. So this little girl is banging on the window window panes as if to be let in, and she seemed to be crying, and the little Miss Rosamond could not bear bear it anymore, and so she all of a sudden, like, goes, runs to the door, opens the door, and is about to, like, go run out to this little girl when all of a sudden, the great organ starts to thunder through the house. Ooh. I'm picturing it like, dun, 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 dun. Yes. Very phantom of the opera. And then it is in this moment that Hester has this realization that as she can hear the organ, she has never heard the sound of the pounding. She only saw the physic, like the little girl going like this, but there was no sound coming from her. And she's like, this phantom child was putting through all this force, but there was no sound coming from the child. Right. So the realization is that this is indeed a spirit and not exactly. actually a little girl just trapped outside in the snow. So Hester runs and grabs little Miss Rosamond, but Miss Rosamond is like panicking and crying and wants to help this little girl. But Hester's like, I will not let you go out to this little girl. Like, I do not believe this is safe. This is dangerous. Ugh, what darkness. And, and so she becomes convinced that this ghost spirit little girl was trying to lure Rosamond out into the, the woods and into the snow to her death. I mean, that sounds spot on. I don't know if that's like, do I need to even be convinced of that? That seems right. genuinely 100% fact. Yes. That was the the intent behind this little ghost child. And imagine Hester. Or whatever like, it is. Hester's not even 18 years old. This is the this is on par with when, when a stranger calls in terms of like babysitting horrible experiences. Mm-hmm. And now I'm I'm not even fully convinced that the two older women who are so fond of this her daughter are even real okay well they are and at this point hester is now she's convinced that mrs stark and miss Furnival 
are hiding something from her. So she basically forces their hand and is like, you need to tell me what's going on. So Mrs. Stark finally admits that the old lord who plays the organ is Miss Grace and Miss Maud's father, and that, that the old lord was too proud to ever allow anyone to marry his daughters. But then he invited a foreigner to come play music in their home, and both Maud and Grace fell in love with this man. And the foreigner brought the organ for the old lord to learn to play, and while their father was distracted, this musician flirted with both Maud and Grace. Miss mm. Maud triumphed over her sister and secretly married the musician and later gave birth to a daughter. But jealousy grew between the sisters as the musician continued to flirt with both of them. And eventually, he abandoned both of them and his daughter. So then, these two sisters who have been torn apart by this man retreat to their own ends of the manor. Maud in the East Wing, Grace in the West Wing. Oh, wow. And Miss Maud loved her daughter and decided to have her live secretly in the East Wing with her. Rumor had it that Miss Maud one day revealed to her sister that she had won and married the foreigner in secret, which led Miss Grace and Miss Stark to spy on the East Wing and discover the little girl. So basically, Maud had married and had a child with this musician in secret and was keeping the girl secretly in her wing of the home. Right. That seems, I mean, so she truly was kept away from her entire family. Yes. Because I don't know how that would be possible to not show the pregnancy or yeah. hear the sounds of a child unless this place is so incredibly yeah. large and your family so incredibly disinterested in ever spending time with you that they just fully ignore anything and everything that comes from that side of the mansion. And it gets worse. So Miss Grace was so jealous and angry at her sister for marrying the musician that she had loved, that she then told their father, who was furious. And the father threw Maud and the little girl out into the snow. Oh. And Grace did nothing. This makes me so sad. As the old lord ordered the staff not to help them. And ultimately, Maud and the little girl froze to death outside on the Northumberland Fells. But the, the Lord never played his organ again and died within the year. So Hester is now hearing this story and is understanding that that is why Miss Furnival, who's this like old grumpy lady, is so, she's like, oh, I know why she's so miserable and cold. But it's clear that she has not been able to accept the past and has caused the manor and this family to be haunted by the vengeful ghosts of the past. So Hester is like, I need to take little Miss Rosamond out and away from here. Otherwise, she's in danger of being lured out by these ghosts who want to have revenge on Graves. But then a snowstorm falls on the house that night, making it impossible to venture outside. The winds rage and the snow flies, and Rosamond seems to become possessed by the elements, pounding and screaming and raging to let this little girl inside. And all of a sudden... Miss Furnival groans miserably as the walls rumble and the windows shake. And she says, I hear terrible screams. I hear my father's voice. They all hurry out into the great hall, hearing the screams coming from the east wing. And suddenly, the east wing door, which has been locked, slams open. And the ghost of the old lord drives the ghosts of Miss Maud and the little girl through it. 
They watch as the Ooh. ghosts reenact the night that Maud and the little girl died. The old oh, Lord. God, I thought they were going to be like, victory, we're loose. But they're like, no. watch us die again. Yes. The old Lord strikes wow. the little girl with his crutch. And present day, Miss Furnival, Grace, is begging with his spirit to spare the child. But then the phantom of young Grace appears. And as she had done all those years ago, young Grace stands there and watches everything happen very, very coldly and doesn't help. And at that moment, the lights dim, the fire goes out all by themselves. And all of a sudden, Miss Furnival lay stricken down by all of this that had happened, the whole commotion. So all of the so this whole phantasmic thing is happening. All of the lights and the fires and everything go out. Mm-hmm. And when it comes back, they see old Miss Furnival laying near death on the ground. Oh wow. She was carried to her bed that night, never to rise again. She lay with her face to the wall, muttering low, but muttering away. Alas, alas, what is done in youth can never be undone in age. What is done in youth can never be undone in age. What is done in youth can never be undone in age. And that is how the old nurse's story ends. And imagine hearing that before you fall asleep. No way. (laughs) Yeah, you're like, all right, tuck in, kids. We're going to have a great, snowy, adventurous day tomorrow. (laughs) But first, let me read you the story from my Christmas magazine. (laughs) No. Oh, my gosh. I do wonder when she was passing away in the story, was it because she couldn't take seeing again what she had done? Or were the spirits able to somehow, within the commotion, murder? Mm. Maybe a combination of both. They, they took the energy from mm-hmm. her, her own life and light to yeah. recreate in front of her what she had taken from them. Well, it's interesting too, because if you think about it, until this point, kind of towards the end of the story, no one had ever talked about what had happened. It had been like repressed and no one's talking about it. And these ghosts are trying right. really hard to come back up, which is like, you know, the past trying to come up. If you don't deal with your demons, they haunt you. And- Mm-hmm. Finally, she's forced to come to terms – or not come to terms. She's first forced to face it, and she can't. She dies. Yeah. It makes me really sad to think of the spirits, the the mother who had been cast out in the snow with her child, yeah. then seeing this now living child not really maybe understanding yeah. – all the time that they themselves are dead and passed away and was trying to comfort, like basically seeing the same thing yeah, about to happen to this child that happened to you and your own child and trying to comfort the child. And yeah. I understand like from a ghost perspective, maybe trying to lull the child to sleep so that it will, the, the kid will go more peacefully but maybe it's so in the cold. evil to take the life of another child. Or... Right. Yeah, to lure the child out. Yeah, it makes me sad. If that was really the intention, maybe it was just that the energy in the home was at the right point for them to come forward and just their haunting energy like made their presences more known. Right. Maybe they didn't know they were dead, really. Right, or the presence of another young child was – 
brought them back almost because that energy is very similar to the energy of having this child in the home before. Yeah. I don't know. Wow. That's spooky. (laughs) But it's kind of beautiful. Spooky Christmas. Merry spooky Christmas. Okay. Listener stories. Listener stories. So because it's your birthday episode, I didn't necessarily – I didn't either. Fall completely. (laughs) Okay. I just chose something that you enjoy, which is a Victorian era I love it. That's basically what I did. Oh, perfect. I mean, we had Victoria era – Yeah. Ghost stories before. Mine, my so. listener story isn't even Victorian era. It's just like a ghost story I like. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Great. That works. Yes. I mean, who, no rules. We make up the rules. Yeah. Who cares? Sometimes we try to bind ourselves and then we break them every other time. You can't bind me. So, no. Good luck. This I'm Houdini. Is called- anyway, sorry. Yes. <laughs> Unleash the Kraken. This is from Caitlin and it is called Not So Imaginary Friend. Oh. Hey, ladies. So I grew up with spirits being very relevant in my life due to my mother being haunted. Yeah. I feel like that's going to be us and our kids opening sentences yeah. to every email they ever write. Yeah. My mom's kind of haunted. They're even – it's like a yeah. work email. Then it starts with, before I get into the assignment we had to do today, my mother was haunted. My every email has haunted. to be. XOXO. Yeah. I grew up seeing spirits all around us and have experienced a lot. My whole family experienced the same five very active entities in the house, and we're kind of used to them. The story I'm sharing with you is one that had attached to me. Ooh. Ooh. The way I grew up was very unique due to the odd custody agreement my parents made when they divorced when I was two years old. From then on until I got to high school, I switched between two states every year. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Every other year? Whoa. That's tough. Yeah. I lived one year with my mom in Tennessee slash Kentucky and then with my dad in Utah. Everything about my life was very inconsistent and I literally had a new life every year. Oh my year. gosh. I started seeing an imaginary friend when I was around six years old. She was a woman in a very unique and distinct Victorian laced dress. It was black and she also wore a black veil. You would think that this would be scary to see her, uh, but it was actually very calming and she was very beautiful. And to this day, I can't find a dress that looks like the one that she had. Oh, I wonder if She never spoke to me. I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what time period, but like when women lost their husbands, they would wear blah. Mm. I mean, it's like the funeral custom. Know. Edwardian? You know? Victorian? Yeah. Right. Anyway. Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, maybe maybe it was just a normal funeral yeah. gown that she chose to show up in. Maybe she died of a broken oh. heart. And, and kept that heart- in, wrapped in a poet poem in her desk. Right? Exactly. Spooky. Oh, imagine just the sound of a beating <gasps> heart coming from somewhere in your house very. and you're going around and you're trying to look for it and <sighs> it's in your desk drawer. Yes. Very Poe. And then you hear Mary Shelley go, <laughs> in the background. <laughs> That's our Halloween haunted house that we're going to Mary. <laughs> classic. Classic <prank>. Mary. <laughs> she never spoke to me. She just stood and watched me from a distance. As I got older each year, her distance got closer and closer to me. I would always look at her, and she would acknowledge me with a nod, and I would continue throughout my day. She followed me from state to state, and I constantly saw her. When I got around 12 to 13 years old, I stopped seeing her, and so I thought maybe I just dreamt her, and I never told anybody about her. Not that I was embarrassed, but more that I wondered if it was really happening. Yeah. So fast forward to 18. I had moved out the day after I turned 18 into my friend's house. 
Her mom is a medium, and I never paid much attention to it, nor spoke to her much about it in general. I was used to seeing spirits and fine with talking about them, but we just never really casually spoke to each other. Mm-hmm. One night, I came downstairs for a glass of water, and she was in the kitchen. She often couldn't sleep because of the spirits trying to contact her. Oh, my God. Wow. That's tough. That's sad. Insomnia at its worst. Yeah, truly. Right? I don't remember how we started talking about it, but she asked me, you know how I can see and speak to spirits, right? And I told her yes, and we began talking about it. She shared a lot of her experiences with me, and she ended on saying, well, you do have a spirit attached to you. I didn't think much about it until she said, she's here right now, standing behind you. Oh, my gosh. Oh, myself. Remember, it's the middle of yeah. the night. Like, they are probably in dark. Darkness also, the way that she was saying right that now. it moved, got closer and closer to her as years passed on, like the fact that it's now like physically right behind her. Right. Yeah. It's, she can't see it anymore either because she aged out of it or, or because so peripheral close. vision. Yeah. She, it's just fully behind her, her at all times. Yeah. Ah. I kind of just stared at her. Not that I didn't believe her, but more so I was in anticipation as to what she was going to tell me about the spirit. She began describing her and the very lace pattern of the dress and what she looked like. I have never told anybody about the woman I had seen, and so it was impossible for her to describe everything so perfectly. She then began to say, she has been protecting you since you were born and could see that you were important (laughs) and needed to be looked after. She could have moved on to the other realm a a long time ago, but knew that she had a greater purpose that she needed to wait for. And that purpose was you. My heart and stomach and chills. Feel, oh, my gosh. I know. That's beautiful. Part of me was almost like, I shouldn't read this one for your birthday because you like no, scary. No, but this is, but so, this is it's too good. so good. Right? Yes. If you feel that you are willing to let her move on, I can do that. I started to tear up because I was in shock. I agreed for her to help the spirit move on. And when she did, I felt this insane energy pulled from me, almost like shedding a layer of skin all at (gasps) once without pain. I began to cry. I haven't seen her since, but continue to have many experiences with the paranormal. I just moved into a new apartment with my best friend, and we're already experiencing clear signs of spiritual activity. I love your podcast and enjoy hearing other people's experiences. Thank you for reading mine, Caitlin. Caitlin, that's so beautiful. Oh, yeah. What, it's like her guardian. And the fact that the spirit, especially that the fact that she's Victorian era or around that time, stayed on this plane for as long as she did, knowing she had a greater purpose, but not knowing what it was until she saw Caitlin. Right. It does make me wonder, too. Like, I'm almost thinking that the spirit was destined to be a spirit yeah, guide a or a guardian. And I wonder if... In spirit form, this woman knew that she was needed, but had a fear that if she let herself be like reincarnated or come back to to a different realm, that she might miss the opportunity to be with her. Like uh, yeah. she might time it wrong. And so that's why she chose to stay for as long as she what did if, for, you know, 100, 200 years. Well, what if now at some point in Caitlin's future, she this spirit is going to be reborn and brought into Caitlin's life in a different way, in like a true like – now Ooh. physical form person way. Right. Yeah. Oh. Caitlin's future children. I freaking love that. A best friend's child. Wow. Yeah. Oh, it's very so interesting. special. Yeah. I love, yeah. I love that she stuck around. I know. I just love that Caitlin, given 
I'm sure how difficult it was to basically have a new life. And yeah, move all the time. From states and leave friends behind every single year. I'm very glad that there was this loving and dedicated spirit who was there to be with her and to make sure that everything was okay. Me too. Oh, I loved that. Thank you for picking that one, Corinne. That's very heartwarming. You're welcome. Um, I feel like Mary Shelley would have liked that. Oh, definitely. Mary Shelley approves. Um, She's channeling through me right now. (laughs) Mary Shelley is my Victorian era ghost behind me. I wish. Oh, hi, Mary. Love you. Hi, Mary. (laughs) Just like going to believe. I'm going to manifest that. I'm going to manifest that Mary Shelley becomes my guardian angel. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah. Or my muse. Mediums out there. (laughs) Anyone who listens, I want to know, like, is is Mary accessible in spirit (gasps) form? You know, there's all those people that talk to yeah. the spirit of Elvis and Houdini and everyone. But is Mary around? Or am I Mary? I'd love to be. I'm not. I know I'm not because I'm not nearly <laughs> as talented. Hi, Mary? Me? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not that cool. I wish. Ooh, uh, love it. Okay. My story is from our listener, Madison. And it is called The Demon or alien, that tried to steal my mom's twin brother in a shared dream experience. Oh, God. (laughs) This is the most you title I've ever heard. Happy birthday to me. (laughs) Okay. Hello, beautiful ghouls and Leia, of course. My name is Maddie. My pronouns are she and her, and I'm from Toronto, Canada. I am absolutely obsessed with your podcast and catch myself talking about it constantly. I also have severe anxiety, so I'm grateful for your familiar voices that join me on busy morning commutes. The Toronto subway is my literal hell, LOL. I work at a shelter for people who are experiencing homelessness, so I do lots of overnight shifts, and even you two scare the crap out of me when I'm by myself at 3 a.m. and all the clients are asleep. You still get me through the night. I've always wanted to email, but I personally haven't had any spooky experiences, which I am thankful for, and now have probably jinxed myself. It never occurred to me, however, that my family is haunted as fuck. So my first story is about my mom's twin brother, Devin. When Devin was a baby, he would wake up every single night at 3 a.m. like clockwork. My grandpa said he would go in and check on my uncle, but Devin was inconsolable. My grandpa says that my uncle Devin never cried like this before they moved into their old farmhouse, which was a few hours north of Toronto. Nor did he ever wake up at 3 a.m. every single night before moving into this house. My grandpa's final straw was the night that he heard Devin screaming, as per usual. But this time, when he opened the door to my uncle's room, Devin was not in his crib. He was lying on the floor in the middle of the room. Oh, no. Oh, no, poor baby. Nobody else had been in that room. My grandpa was home alone with my mom and her twin. And because of how old the house was, the floors and doors were extremely creaky, So my grandpa, who was sitting in his room directly next to Devin's, would have heard if somebody had gone in it. And Devin, Mm. who was a six-month-old baby, would not have been able to get out of the crib on his own. There's no way. And you would – yeah, you would have heard it. Yes. You would have heard the commotion. You would have heard – and also I feel like Devin would have been very injured. Oh, if he had gotten out by himself, yeah. By himself, rather than being lifted by some unseen force, and, and it's not in the middle. It's of the, the room. middle of the room. It's not like right next to the crib. It's the middle of the room. Right. So now, for the craziest part, after my grandpa picked up Devin from the floor, he screamed at the top of his lungs, "Whatever you are, leave my son alone!" And immediately, 
Devin stopped crying, and this never happened again. Oh my god. Okay. Part of me does feel slightly bad for that spirit because what if it was a loved one who was just like, oh, I'm going to play with my great, great grandchild (sighs) and like puts him in the middle and and then realizes what you're doing is so scary to the child and then you're basically like banished from the house and from ever seeing. Yeah, but I don't buy it. I don't buy it, Corinne, because never happened until I moved to the old farmhouse and Devin was inconsolable, like screaming. That is not the – True. Like we've heard stories of little babies looking up, like cooing at something in the corner, but screaming inconsolable True. is that was me as a baby. Yeah, I was talking you're to a creepy kid. Okay. <laughs> One more story, which is happy. My fiance recently told me this story and I was honestly shocked. Taylor was about 16 and he was living at his grandpa's house with his mom and brothers. He told me that this house had a large front lawn that leads to a small porch. The front door off of the porch is directly in front of the stairs. So when you walk in, you can see the staircase right away, which is important later. Taylor told me he had a dream around the time he was living in the house that went like this. He was on his popo's front lawn, and he began walking towards the front door. When he got to the porch and stood in front of the door, it swung open completely by itself. As the door opened, Taylor noticed that the staircase was gone. And instead, there was a glowing orangish light engulfing the space where the stairs would normally be. Taylor says he had a feeling and deep knowing that it was his great-grandma visiting. But the craziest part is that about a week later, my fiancé's mom had the exact same dream. Ooh! His mom had passed away of an overdose last year, and Taylor and I are both in recovery from addiction. So I have some other stories about loved ones that we've lost to addiction, but I'll save those for another email. Love you both so much. Stay spectacular and see you on the other side. P.S. Please come to Toronto for a live show. I don't live in the States, so I have major FOMO. And I could tell you about a lot of spooky places to visit while you're here from Madison. Wow. Madison ha- is just collecting ghost stories from everyone and the anyone. ghost story collector. I love it. I do wonder with the dream, if it's just because of it's sort of like a shared experience with addiction and losing people yeah. from addiction or – if there was something else connecting the two of them. Well, psychically. I mean, it also just sounds like the great grandma was visiting her loved ones and chose the same way to do it. Yeah. That's a nice that's a nice encounter that's after a, the first <laughs> one that we heard. Yeah, that's terrifying. This is this is something where if you saw this on a baby monitor today, where someone uploads on Facebook yeah. or whatever and says, here's the footage I caught. Can you explain it? Everyone would say, that's like, not no real. Way. That's been yeah. doctored. No one would believe it. Yeah. But it happened. Mm-mm-mm. It happened. <laughs> Your face right now. It yeah. happened. Wow. Oh. I love ghost stories. I love old-timey ghost stories. This was a great birthday episode, and I'm grateful for all of you joining us on this journey. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. We will see you again next week yes. and then the week after that we'll see if three we'll see times you every day week. basically just us every showing up in your day. feed non-stop here you we are about us? hey here Can't i am get rid of us. here i am hey hello hi, hi. every week hello. it's about us hello. <laughs> anyway hello. there are so many ways to support us you can rate and review us on itunes you can join the pyramid screen whoa screen 
scream. Coffee. We do scream sometimes. We scream. In the pyramid scheme. <laughs> we scream. <laughs> uh, pyramid scheme. The TGOG Triangle, which is our Patreon, and we have lots of extra bonus content on there, ad-free episodes, paranormal news, live streams. It's great. So much fun. Join us. And then we have merch. Mm -hmm. We have new merch, and it's so cute. So cute. And I love it. I know. And I own half of it. We own all of it, basically. And we'll be ordering the rest. Very soon. Very shortly. Because spooky season is all year (gasps) round, and also- so soon. We officially consider it spooky season right now. So, gotta wear your I'm wearing my fall autumnal clothing color. Perfect. A lovely color. Together, you and I are very like, we make a pumpkin spice latte. I am the cream on top, and you are the pumpkin pumpkin. filling. And we both have our matching necklaces. Vibing. Vibes. Fall vibes. All vibes. Fall vibes. Spooky fall vibes. Yeah. Well, we do hope that we get to see this fall and and on this side but if we do not we will see you on the other side thank you for joining us on that one lay very smooth